Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this morning and glad you're ready to study some Bible with us. We're going to be answering questions this morning. That's all we do every week on Know Your Bible is answer viewers' questions. So if you're a first-time viewer, let me explain how that operates. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us and tell us what's on your mind. Our goal is to help people know their Bible a little bit better and we found the best way to do that, or a really good way to do that, is just let you tell us what you'd like to know about the Bible or what the Bible has to say about something in your life. And we'll try to give you the biblical answer and uh, tell you where to find it. So that's what we do. And looking forward to your questions. And uh, we've got a lot of good ones to answer today. We'll see if we can get started here. Let me introduce my friend Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. Uh, we've got some good ones coming up. But we always start with one for our viewers. So let's get that started here. The Sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus, a famous story in Jesus' life. Had a couple of sisters, and uh, see if you know their name. We'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. And between now and then, we're just going to let Toby and I answer as many questions as we can. So, Toby, <laughs> you get the first one. Let's All go, right. go to work. It. It's a pretty fast question. Actually, it's a question about fasting. If a per how can a person fast, someone asks, if medical conditions require them to eat? Okay, well, fasting, uh, if you are not aware, is uh, giving up of food for a time uh, to focus on spiritual things. And, of course, our natural answer to this is if you can't fast, then obviously you shouldn't. If medical pre conditions prevent you from doing so, uh, then obviously that's not something you should practice or be into. Always with anything like that, you want to <clears throat> uh, consult your physician and talk to them and Make sure that that's not going to interrupt any of your medicines or anything like that. And if you can't do it, obviously that's not something that you should do. Uh, there are ways to fast, although it's not uh, the, the fasting from food, but I've known people who have fasted from watching television or social media or they've fasted in different ways that are not food related. So that might be something you think about. Really the point is to uh, abstain from something that you do on a regular basis or that your body desires on a regular basis for the purpose uh, that every time your body craves that or that you crave doing something, uh, you say, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to focus on the Lord. I'm going to devote myself to prayer. And uh, that's uh, what fasting is time is really the dedication and focus directed toward uh, spiritual things. Uh, so you might consider that if you desire to fast, you might consider some non-food options uh, as, as I suggested. Uh, Jesus said that fasting was, a, the goal was not people seeing you and, and ad admiring your spirituality, but it was a, a dedication and a deeper devotion in your personal relationship with the Lord. Let's look at what he said in Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 16. When you fast... 
do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show they are fasting. Uh, truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So, uh, it, again, it's about <clears throat> what the Lord sees, and the Lord knows your heart. And if, there, if, if the fasting from food is not something you can do, uh, then you can look for other options. And of course, we would never advise you or counsel you to endanger your health uh, as a part of your uh, spiritual growth and relationship with God. Alrighty, good answer, and mine's kind of closely related to that. The Pharisees made a big show out of fasting, so everybody knew what they were doing, and uh, they also made a big show out of praying. And this person asked, if you don't kneel to pray, does God hear your prayers? Uh, well, I thought when I saw that, that could just as easily be, if you don't bow your head, mm -hmm. does God hear you? If you don't fold your hands just right, does God hear you? Uh, it certainly... The answer is certainly uh, God hears your prayers uh, because He hears your heart. Uh, he's looking at the heart. He's listening to your mind. Uh, he doesn't need to see what position your body's in. Now, of course, He knows what position your body's in, but He doesn't need to see that. Uh, kneeling, bowing heads, all that is pretty much customs that we've been grown accustomed to. Uh, if you grow up seeing people kneel to pray, you think, well, that's the way to pray. Uh, we'll look at some Bible verses about that in just a moment. But uh, bear in mind, God sees the heart. He doesn't need to see the body. But a body position uh, is an indicator of reverence, if you want to say it that way. Uh, we're in the presence of a high-powered being on earth, a president or a king or something, our body language would indicate that they're pretty important. Uh, and that's what bowing and kneeling and all of that does. It's a sign of reverence. It indicates that we realize we're coming into the presence of the Almighty God. Uh, and we bow our head or kneel or do something. And a lot of it depends on the kind of prayer. Uh, if you're really asking for forgiveness, if you've repented, uh, repenting of something that you've done that's uh, a horrible thing, uh, you might fall on your face. You might fall flat on the ground to indicate how sorry you are. Uh, so different positions just indicate our inner feelings about things. Uh, I made a list of all the things I could find in the Bible about when people prayed, and here's some of them. Uh, people prayed when they were sitting. Uh, they prayed when they were kneeling. Some bowed before God. Some stood and prayed. Uh, some prayed while they were walking along the road. Uh, some prayed with uplifted hands to indicate they're praising God. And some fell on the ground, prostrate. They went down flat on the ground with their face in the dirt uh, to pray to God. So all of those are examples of people praying in different positions. Uh, so certainly all those are acceptable, I think. But just remember, God's looking at the heart and your mind, uh, not the position of your body. Okay. A uh, viewer asked a question specifically about, uh, is ISIS mentioned in the Bible? Okay, well, no, ISIS is not mentioned in the Bible. Uh, I know it's po popular sometimes when you look at the, the news stories of the day and what's going on in the world to wonder, does the Bible say anything about that specific person or group of people, um, and no, the Bible 
very rarely talks about specifics of individual evil people or groups of evil people. What it tends to talk about is good and evil. And it reminds us that we're continually in a constant state of good versus evil. And when you begin to look at the world around you as good versus evil, uh, it does help you understand those things, but the Bible never gets to listing names <laughs> or groups. Uh, my guess is because God knew that was always going to take uh, different forms and uh, different names over time. So the name is not specifically mentioned, but uh, evil, of course, still exists. Uh, it existed in the past. It exists now and will be in the future, uh, even though the names will probably be different. Um, so the goal to remind God's people is that evil, although it may pop up in different forms, is not going to overcome and overtake the good and the righteous. And that's the persistent message of the Bible uh, from beginning to end, is that uh, given enough time, good overtakes evil. Good wins out in the end. And I always love the quote that someone said, uh, I've read the, the end of the book and we win. And uh, I think that's a good way to think about it. So you'll always make sure you want to be on the right side and on the good side. Uh, Romans 12:21 gives us a little bit of a reminder and an encouragement. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So uh, as you are going about your daily life and you're watching the news, you're reading the paper, you're looking at your Twitter feed, uh, and you're thinking of all the evil in the world, it's easy to get discouraged. Don't. Uh, just <clears throat> overcome evil with good. And that stands in your life, and that stands in the, the lives of Christians working together. All righty. Let me talk just a moment about a good way to study the Bible. Um, we spend a little time studying the Bible with you each week, and some questions, like the one I've got next, uh, is we get into a little bit about how to study the Bible and Bible study methods and all that. But uh, we understand that getting started in Bible study is sometimes hard. Uh, just sitting down and reading from Genesis on is a little difficult for folks. Uh, we've got some other ways to study the Bible, some tools, Bible study tools that we've uh, endorsed here on Know Your Bible, and we've been sending them out for years and years. And, uh, thousands of people have taken us up on it and thank us for all that they've uh, learned about the Bible. So we'd like to make that same offer to you. You see the first series of courses here on the uh, screen. There's eight lessons in it. Very basic introduction to your Bible. Uh, when you're done with this eight lessons, actually when you're done with the first two about the Old Testament and the New Testament, you already know a whole lot more about uh, the Bible than a lot of folks do. Uh, you understand the two parts of your Bible and what they're about and what they're for. Uh, so it's a good way to get familiar with the Bible. It's a good way to form a regular habit of Bible study. Uh, and We'd like to offer that to you absolutely free of charge. Call that phone number, log on to that website and say, I want that free course. You'll get lesson number one and uh, we'll keep sending them as long as you keep returning them and want to keep studying. Uh, if it's something that doesn't help you, you can stop anytime and we won't bother you. We just want you to study the Bible, and we think this is a great way to do it. So call us or log on and let us know, and we'll get it started for you. All right, a viewer wants to know about the uh, plan of salvation. Explain what you mean by the plan of salvation. Uh, I don't know how often we say that on this program, but it is a term that we use sometimes, I'm sure. Uh, what's the plan of salvation? Uh, let me start with the big picture, because this is kind of we get into how to study the Bible. 
in the big picture, if you just ask, well, how does God plan to redeem sinful man? Man sinned, he can't be in the presence of God. What's the plan for God to get man back to him? And the simple answer to that, the big overall answer to that is John 3.16. Everybody knows that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that uh, whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So that's the big picture. That's the plan. Uh, God sent Jesus to die for us to pay for our sins and that way uh, we don't have to perish or suffer eternally. Uh, we can have an eternal life. Uh, now, if that's the only verse you read, okay, there's the plan of salvation. But as you read more of the Bible, you start to see there's some other things to it. Um, not replacing it, but just kind of things that men have to do. Uh, for instance, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.38, uh, the crowd asked Peter the very question, uh, what should we do? You know, they finally understood that they were separated from God, that they'd killed his son. And they said, well, what do we do? You know, how, how do we be saved? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized. So there's two other things that uh, are part of the plan, if you want to call it that. So as you study the Bible, if you look for those kind of things, where does, what does God say when people say, well, what do we need to do to be saved? Or what did his apostles and other preachers tell people? Uh, you must do this. To be saved. Uh, I made a little list here for you. These are some of the things that the Bible says you must do. Uh, Romans 10, 14, 15 says you have to hear. Uh, you got to hear the gospel. You got to understand about Jesus. And then you've got to believe it. John 3, 16. Whoever believes uh, doesn't have to perish. Acts 17, 30 says you got to repent. Uh, that's necessary. You have to be sorry for not following God and being a sinner and repent. Romans 10.9 says you have to confess. Uh, you confess with your mouth that you believe Jesus is Lord. And Acts 2.38, which we already mentioned, said you have to be baptized. That's when you're saved. So uh, you read all of those things. You go through the Bible. And if you make a list of all those, you could call it the plan of salvation. Uh, now, the big part is, yes, believe in God, believe in Jesus, uh, you don't have to perish. The things that you need to do in response to God, in obedience to Him, are listed there in some of those things. If you really believe Him, uh, that's what you'll do. So, uh, when we say plan of salvation, sometimes we kind of reduce it to those five things maybe. Uh, that may be a little too simplistic, and we need to explain a little bit more about it. But those are all mentioned as things we must do. Uh, so we tend to call that a plan of salvation. I hope that explains that to our viewers what we mean if we ever say that. <laughs> yeah, good. good answer. Uh, the next question posed to us by a viewer is, if you don't condone musical instruments in church because they aren't mentioned in the Bible, do you condone electric lights or air conditioning? Well... This is a little passive-aggressive, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, to, to answer your question, I think simply is, you know, we don't use electric lights or uh, air conditioning or any of the parts of the building uh, as part of the worship, uh, as part of a method of worship. 
And when you're talking about musical instruments and what we talk about on this program is simply uh, we look at what the Bible says about how to worship as the church in the first century did. And when we look at that, we see some very common things that happened over and over and over again. You know, they often would uh, listen to the apostles' teaching. They studied the Word. They read the Word. That was an important part of understanding God's instructions. So we do that. We, of course, know that they prayed. We believe that that was a part of it. You know, we believe that they took of the Lord's Supper, that they broke bread on the first day of the week, that that was a regular part of their worship together. And so as we go through the Bible and we look at these different elements, when we come to how to worship and how to praise God, uh, the New Testament says very simply the admonition in worship is to sing. And so uh, let's look at uh, one of those verses, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Uh, Paul writes, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart uh, is, is the goal. We, you know, as we think about uh, the one we are praising, we want to worship him with the instrument that he gave us, which is the voice. And that needs to, to be an overflowing of the heart. I suppose a person could sing church songs and not truly be worshiping the Lord in the heart. But the biblical, when we look at how the, the early church, what they did was they gathered together to sing and to make melody in their heart. And so that's what we want to do as we gather together. Um, I'll say another thing that worship is designed to be participatory in nature. I think in our current culture, um, there is a trend toward making worship more like a concert, more like an entertainment venue. Uh, there's not much difference if you look at some of the venues of worship and what you would see at a modern concert. And worship is not a, a period or a time for entertainment. Um, I've been to churches where uh, worship uh, was you know, being conducted and the music w was so loud that no one was singing. Uh, I could hardly hear myself sing. And so it almost inhibited worship instead of helping it. Um, that was just my observation, of course. Um, so let's look at God's Word again from Colossians 3, verse 16. Paul wrote, let the, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so we have, as we gather together, we sing and we worship, but we're also teaching one another. So if nobody's singing, we're not hearing the words of the psalms or the, the hymns, we're not learning. And that's one of the things that I, I love uh, when I hear a, a biblical message preached and the, the songs that go along with it, they tie together so that they reinforce what we're learning together. So um, trying to be biblically centered in our worship, we look at what the scripture says. The admonition is very simply to sing. Um, so the, uh, the goal to make it pure and from the heart, we're going to do that with our voice and with our heart. And uh, that's my answer. <laughs> All righty. Uh, I'm going to make one comment on that. The, the question, the way it was asked was, Kind of a cute little tricky question, yeah, I guess, gotcha. or, yeah. or maybe the person maybe really sincere. wonders about yeah. it. Uh, 
and when you ask questions like that or when you come up with little cute ideas like that, you need to be consistent. You need to think it through a little bit further. For instance, the New Testament church, which our goal is to restore it, to be like the church we read in the New Testament. And no, they didn't use air conditioning and they didn't have electric lights. Uh, hadn't been invented yet. But to be consistent, you have to understand they did have musical instruments mm -hmm. in those days. And all the other religions, Jewish, pagan, everything, used them. Christians didn't use them. You got to ask yourself, well, why was that? Well, maybe because the apostles said, no, we just sing. That's the way we worship. Uh, instrumental music used, weren't used in Christian worship for hundreds and hundreds of years. And when it was, it was hotly contested uh, by many, many Christians. And as late as a couple hundred years ago, uh, all the restoration leaders, Luther and Calvin and Wesley and a bunch of them, uh, still said, no, you shouldn't use instruments in worship. So you got to ask yourself, why was that? Right. Uh, because that's the way it started. So yeah, uh, I, we we said before in the program that the the, the term a cappella, <laughs> singing without the aid of instruments, uh, is Latin, meaning we're uh, in the style of the church, yep. church music. Yep. So you you bring up an excellent point. <laughs> well, why why did that start that way? Yep. What was the purpose? So that's the way Christians. Worshipped for a long time. Yep. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get on to this one here. What's uh, oh murderers? Yes, I, I never thought of this before. Heard it before, but if you ever said, I heard that murderers will not rise from the grave. Uh, they'll never be judged because they've taken a life. Does the Bible say that? Well, uh, I've never heard about anybody murderers or any kind of person uh, being just left in the grave and never facing judgment, but this person said they heard it. Uh, <clears throat> is that in the Bible? No. In fact, the exact opposite is in the Bible. They will be raised from the grave and they will be judged. So let's read a verse that says that and we'll settle it. John chapter 5, verse 28-29, Jesus said, Don't marvel at this, uh, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Uh, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All right, so Jesus settled it. He said, nope, the day's coming. Jesus, uh, I'm coming back with the sound of the trump and all of that. And everybody's going to come out of the graves. Uh, those that have done good in this life will go to eternal life. Those that have done evil uh, will go to final judgment, to eternal hell. And get over in Revelation, there's some lists of exactly who will be cast into punishment and murderers are listed there. So unless you've been forgiven of it, which is possible in this life as long as you're alive, uh, if you die an unrepentant murderer, no, you're not going to heaven according to the Bible. So exactly the opposite. Everybody's going to be raised. Everybody's going to be judged. Let me take a moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ. Uh, the Churches of Christ are the folks that present this program, produce it, and keep it on the air for you. And uh, we like to mention some every week that uh, help support this program and keep us broadcasting. Uh, you'll notice we never ask for money on this program. That's because folks uh, like the folks at East Point Church of Christ here in Wichita, Kansas, uh, help keep us on the air. They contribute financially and uh, pray for us and keep us uh, going, and we appreciate that. If you live on the east side of town or out close to Andover or anywhere and looking for a church home, 
folks at East Point would warmly welcome you. You'd find a bunch of folks that uh, think and study the Bible like, like we do on this program. A uh, good bunch of folks there, and I know you'd enjoy worshiping with them. Uh, maybe you just know somebody that attends the East Point Church of Christ. Uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible, and you watch this program, and you appreciate their help in keeping it on the air. Of course, any area you live in, any market you're watching the program from, uh, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you, and we'd invite you to drop in and visit them sometime and tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. A person wants to know, how do we know there will not be a sign Jesus will come again? My answer to that is very simply because that's what Jesus said. Uh, when we look at Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was asked a couple of questions. One was about the destruction of the temple, and the other was about the end of time. And so he answers both of those questions, and some people get those those answers confused. But in verse 36 and following, he says, But now, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And he goes on to explain, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I don't think he could put it any more clearly than he did. Now, lots of people get worked up over the signs, but usually it's the confusion of his, him answering those two questions. Just pay attention to what he says and what it applies to. But according to the final day, we're not going to know. Uh, we just need to be prepared because it is going to happen whenever it happens. Alrighty. Good advice. <clears throat> I think we got time for one quick one here. A viewer wants to know, where does it say that good deeds cover a multitude of sins. Well, that sounds biblical, but if uh, you think about it, no, that's a bad theology. Uh, that's kind of works-based salvation. Uh, the verse that this person's heard and got a little bit confused is uh, 1 Peter 4, 8, where it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, okay, it's not good deeds that cover over sins, it's love. And we know Practically, from real life, that's the way it is. Somebody you love uh, deeply, you probably overlook a few things a little, <laughs> little more easily. Uh, it doesn't bother you when somebody you love does some things. Somebody you don't love, you may be very hypercritical and watch for every little mistake and all that. I think that's what he's talking about here is you love someone, uh, we get along a whole lot better and all our little mistakes and sins and all that don't upset the relationship so much. So not good deeds, but love. All right, let's take time to answer our trivia question today. And it was about Lazarus's sisters. Who were the sisters of Lazarus? And most people probably have heard of Mary and Martha. Uh, Mary and Martha were involved in a famous story with Jesus. Uh, one of them working busy in the kitchen and one sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. Uh, one was doing the more important things in life. So they were Lazarus' sister and good, good friends of Jesus. He went to Lazarus' funeral. All right, uh, we're out of time for new questions today, but we're glad you've been with us. Uh, if you haven't signed up for that correspondence course yet, today would be a really good day to do that. So uh, give us a call or log on. We'll get that started for you. 
call in some more questions if something we said came to your mind, and we're going to be back next week to try to answer them and other questions we've got. I'm glad you've been with us today. Until we see you next week, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.